The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor, Reverend Werner Ramirez, in the Sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez. Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you that you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from for, and from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up this serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> now, as a pastor, I actually get this question asked a lot. What is your favorite Bible passage? What is your favorite Bible story? And it's a tough question. It honestly depends on my mood. Like if I'm a little sad, I might tell you the Psalms of Lament or Lamentations. And as, even though I present as a happy-go-lucky guy, I love Ecclesiastes. For some reason, there is hope for me when hearing lines like, Vanity, all is vanity. It makes for a great punk rock song. But one of my favorite passages actually comes from Philippians. In the intro, believe it or not, in chapter 1. The kind of Christian love and affection he writes to the people that he cares about is something that I feel for my friends and family and for you as a congregation. Now, right before Easter, we asked you to submit your favorite passages and stories. And we, the clergy, would preach on some of them for the next few weeks. And you all sent in beautiful passages for us to ponder and to think about. So we start that today with John 3.16. Perhaps for some of you who grew up in the church, you can still quote John 3.16 without flinching. If you were like me, it was the first passage that you memorized. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a staple verse, a verse that some believe hits the heart of what it means to be a Christian, that if you only believe in Jesus, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's such a famous passage. Perhaps you've seen John 3.16 as you drive down the 95 and you see it on a billboard. Or maybe you're watching a baseball game from home and behind home plate there's a person holding a sign and it says John 3.16. Or if you go to California and go to In-N-Out, which is better than Shake Shack. <laughs> Sorry for my West Coast bias. But they have secret passages throughout their wrappings. If you get a regular sized drink at In-N-Out and you look at the bottom of the cup, you will see John 3.16. Why? Why is John 3.16 all over the place? For some, it summarizes salvation. It's a verse that depicts salvation through Jesus Christ, and this is a good Bible verse. On Palm Sunday, Reverend Black Johnston talked about the different atonement theories, and I agree with him that there are aspects of truth in every theory, and somehow it's all kind of combined, and there's a mystery of it. And I think the same is true for John 3.16. It gives us a view of salvation. But there are so many other Bible verses that do the same thing. Paul does this throughout his letters. He summarizes salvation, and sometimes in many different ways. So again, I ask the question, why is John 3.16 the most popular? I think for some Christians, they believe that this verse is an easy way to share the gospel with people who don't believe. A significant example of this was Tim Tebow. In 2009, he led the Florida Gators to a national football championship. And right under his eyes, he had John 3.16. And he was told, so this is hearsay, that 94 million people Googled John 3.16 that day. So what's the biblical story behind John 3.16? Is it just a good verse, or is there a story behind it? And here in this translation, it says born from above, but in other translations, it says born again. What is a born-again Christian? And as we as Reformed theologians and a Reformed congregation, are we born-again Christians? Again, I think we need to look at the story a little more closely. John 3.16 is a verse that comes in the middle of the story that we just read. And here we see Jesus interact with Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee and a leader of Jewish people. Nicodemus comes to him at night to ask him a question. But already we have some context there. He comes at night. Why would Nicodemus come at night? Most theological conversations at that time happen in the daylight, in the public, so that people can hear the discourse and observe what is happening. But Nicodemus comes to him at night. The Pharisees at the time were asking questions to Jesus to try to mess him up and to embarrass him theologically. But Nicodemus doesn't do that. He starts off by saying, Teacher, I know that what you're doing comes from God. It has to be from God. Because if not, you wouldn't be able to do these things. Nicodemus is curious about Jesus. He likes what he sees and he wants to know more about it. But he comes at night, perhaps because this may have been unpopular with the other Pharisees. So he comes to him in secret to find out more. He comes in the dark because of his curiosity, and it's almost like he is a secret fan of Jesus. 
I have a couple, actually three confessions for you today. First one is, in sixth grade, I loved the band Hanson. With their bubblegum pop song, Umbop, I just, I loved it. But all the other middle school girls loved Hanson as well. And as a sixth grade boy who was trying to be cool and trying to get all the girls to like him, there was no way I could admit that I liked Hanson. So if I wanted to sing along, I had to do it in secret, in the dark. Or perhaps this is a better example. I think that many of us are secret fans of Jesus here in this country, but especially in New York City. Being a Christian in the city feels irrelevant, and being outed as a Christian can come with judgment. So when someone does find out that you're a Christian, you're quick to defense. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that type of Christian. We like to be secret fans of Jesus. So perhaps we can relate to Nicodemus more than we think. So here we have Nicodemus, a secret fan of Jesus, and he tells us how much of a fan he is. He tells it to Jesus. But Jesus' response is really odd. Instead of thanking him for the kind words, he says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, without being born again. And you can't fault Nicodemus for what he's about to say. He says, what do you mean, Jesus? I'm literally getting older by the minute. How am I supposed to go back to the womb and be born again? Again, you can't blame him. In fact, I support his honesty. Sometimes in academic settings, especially in seminary, the professor will say something really profound that maybe only one or two people in the class actually know what the professor's talking about. Yet the whole class goes, hmm. <laughs> Nicodemus doesn't do that here. He gives a blunt answer back. And he's a smart guy. He's a Pharisee. So instead of faking some response, he says, being born again, what the heck are you talking about, Jesus? And this is probably the same response I would have when I'm in the park reading a book and a well-intentioned Christian comes to me and says, hey, have you been born again? Born again? What the heck do you mean? So let's just name something real quick. The term born-again Christian has been around for decades. And I'm going to be honest, that phrase born-again has an odd taste in my mouth. Because growing up, when I heard born-again Christian, it had a card-holding, club-like connotation. If you are born-again, you are in the club. And if you are not, well, then good luck to you. So when that person who hopes to share Jesus with me at the park asks me if I've been born-again, they're not asking if I want to go and back into my mother's womb, what they're really asking me is, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you do, if you believe in Jesus, you will not perish and you will have everlasting life, just as John 3.16 says. For many Christians that align themselves with being born again, they may have good intentions of wanting to save people. But still, when I hear that phrase, are you born again? I feel like the question that they're really asking is, are you saved like I am saved? Do you believe the scriptures in the same way that I believe the scriptures? Do you agree with my theology? And perhaps do you even align with my political beliefs? If you do, then cool, you're saved. If not, we may need to have some more conversations over Facebook. And if I'm honest, I have real trouble with this interpretation of this scripture. 
and how it's been manipulated to be a verse about merely getting into heaven. Because when we look at this story, there is so much more to it. There are good things happening here merely than just getting a ticket into heaven. The interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus goes beyond that. Jesus doesn't say to him, okay, here's the deal. All you have to do is believe in me and you're good. You're in heaven. The book of James says even the demons believe. Jesus is giving Nico an invitation to new life. Remember, Nicodemus comes to him in the dark, in secret. And I think Jesus is giving him an invitation to come out of the dark and a call to move from being just a secret fan and to live in new light. An invitation to trust Jesus and to live the best version of himself. But here's the thing, being born again is not simply an act that one does on their own. Now, I'm not going to fall into the trap and begin to mansplain about what it means to be pregnant and to bring a child into this world. I have absolutely no clue about that. And I don't remember my own birth, but I do know that I have a loving mother who bore much time and love and nurtured me while I was in her womb. And I know that I didn't merely come out. My mother had me and brought me into this world. What an incredible and loving gift she gave me to provide me with life. The invitation that Jesus is offering Nicodemus to be born again of the spirits, an invitation to come out of the dark, again, doesn't come out of nowhere. Nicodemus cannot do this alone like I could not come out of the womb alone. It comes out of a loving God who has nurtured Nicodemus in her womb and is willing to, to give Nicodemus the beautiful gift of spiritual life. And like a mother, God is ready to walk and journey with her child as they learn, grow, and as they doubt, and even mess up. A life of being spiritually reborn is not done alone. It's a lifelong journey and not a one-time event. Yet it's terrifying to be born. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is a doula, and there was a lot I didn't know. I thought babies came out like a slip and slide real quick, just psh, not it. She graciously gave me a lesson, but then she also reminded me that the first thing a baby does when it comes into the world is to cry. They are in a new and foreign situation, and it's scary. They long for the safety of the womb, but now live in the latest challenge to live in a new life. In a way, coming out of the womb is a form of death, but the beginning of new life. Toni Morrison says, Our future is ripe, outrageously rich in its possibilities. Yet unleashing the glory of that future will require difficult labor. Some may be so frightened by its birth that they will refuse it and abandon their new life for the nostalgia of the womb. The invitation Jesus gives Nicodemus to come out of the dark and be born into the light is scary, yet it's filled with so many possibilities. But what does Nicodemus need to die to in order to live this new life? Would it require for him to truly claim Christ in front of his Pharisee friends? Would that mean that he will be ridiculed or looked down on? Again, it may be a scary death for him, but it's also ripe with the possibility of new life. We see Nicodemus two more times in the Gospel of John. First, in John chapter 7, when the Pharisees are trying to arrest Jesus. 
And Nicodemus says, you can't just arrest him. You need to have a hearing first. And then the rest of the Pharisees accuse him of being a disciple of Jesus. And finally, we see Nicodemus one more time in John chapter 19 after Jesus' death. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body to make sure he gets a proper burial. We don't know what Nicodemus believed. It's not in the scriptures. But we do know what he did. He defended Jesus, then made sure he gave, him a pro- gave Jesus a proper burial. Perhaps Nicodemus needed to crawl first. Maybe he had some hiccups. Nicodemus started living a new life. So friends, what is Jesus pushing us to do? What must we do to be born again into a version of ourselves that shines bright for God's love, justice, and mercy? And here's the thing. I think we already have the tools. It just simply needs to be realized. Let me explain. My wife April and I love a show on Netflix called Queer Eye. Many of you know the show well, but if you don't, the show is about five queer people who help give people a proper makeover. And they specialize in different aspects of life, like cultural skills, grooming, fashion, nutrition, and design. I love this show. And here's another confession. The first time I saw it was on my honeymoon. And it's so awkward when you're ugly crying on your honeymoon because of an episode. (laughs) Yet one of the greatest things that they do in the show is what they don't do. They don't go to their client and say, you're such a terrible person. Let us make you into something else. In fact, it's the opposite. They see the best part of who a person is, and they help bring those aspects out of the dark and into the light. And in the sense, the person is born again. That is what Jesus does for us in the process of being born in the Spirit. Christ highlights the ways that we can live our best life in him. One that includes the hope of salvation, but also includes participating in doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. So perhaps it's time to be born again, to come out of the womb, to come out of the dark, and come into the light. And it's something that I need to do every single day. And yes, it will be scary. We will cry at first. We might want to crawl back to the safety of our old life. But when we discover the new adventure of life with Christ, it is a beautiful one. And it's one that's not done alone. It's done with God, who is like a loving mother, who gives us birth and nurtures us. And it's also done with our sisters, brothers, and siblings together. We are in this new life together, trying to figure it all out. So let us recognize that God is working in our midst and pushing us to live a new life that's not only better for us, but also points others to God's redeeming love. And fam, that is a beautiful life. Let us do it together. Friends, as you leave, may you go in peace knowing that the God of love nurtures you in this journey of life. For you are deeply loved. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.